5: to start listening.
6: Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Granley.
7: I'm Jenny Brenta.
6: I'm Connor Orr. And in case you lost track over the past week, everyone's very busy out there. Maybe you just, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe life is weighing you down and you don't know where we are on the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast calendar. But we are deep within the division previews at this point we did the afc boy who did we do last week we did the afc north last week which means obviously we're doing the nfc west this week and again (laughs) if you can figure out the order we're going in because we have we have logic behind it i swear and uh yeah if you can figure it out let us know and if you are right we will come up with some kind of prize for you
7: That's right. This is like Wheel of Fortune where one letter is revealed at a time and soon enough you'll be able to guess the answer. So today is your second clue. So we've done AFC North and now NFC West. So follow along.
6: It's like a version of Wheel of Fortune where you also don't know what you are playing for. Maybe you'll get money. Maybe you'll get nothing.
7: (laughs) I do have this stash of MMQB stickers, Gary. Yes. Ready to be mailed out.
6: MMQB stickers, I have some 1990 uh, Pro Set football cards kicking around somewhere in my basement that uh, I promised I'd get rid of uh, at some point, told my wife I would,
8: so we got stuff. I just found my college roommate's ID, student ID, <laughs> um, as wow. I'm go- leafing through some old <laughs> business cards, so you can win that, That's uh, that's something else <laughs> that you can have if you'd like to have that. Um
7: no, nothing better than this game. <laughs> I was say, make no
6: mistake, we are all fishing through our garbage to uh come up with things to put in the mail for you. So send those guesses in. Uh okay, guys. We're doing the same thing that we did last week. We're gonna have four categories we're gonna touch on. Uh each of us will weigh in on biggest offseason edition veteran and rookie, most valuable non quarterback, and the coach we are most intrigued by. Going into the season, that can be head or assistant. We also have some uh, uh, fun stuff coming up. Order finish prediction—that's kind of fun. But then the really fun stuff: uh, the Mad Lib. Now that I know how to do it, I know <laughs> you, how to do Mad Libs. You know how to do it, and uh, and and look—you were there was big talk in in the pre-show meeting. Connor's got something big coming up for us.
7: Really getting oh? his sea legs with the Mad Libs.
8: Yeah. Um, You know what it is? Uh, Once you actually understand. So for years, like I've I've made like a pseudo career off of just in meetings saying like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And like knowing that I'll never have to do it. Um, And so that was one of the first times that it was like, oh, I'll do the Mad Libs. And everyone's like, okay, And then. And then I had to do it, and I didn't know what Mad Libs were. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning how to be a responsible adult, and uh, I feel pretty good about this. So, Straight to Ask
6: Jeeves. Find out <laughs> what a Mad Lib is. Alta Vista. Step,
8: step one.
6: All right, guys. NFC West, here we go. Uh, absolutely stacked division here. Uh, we are starting with biggest offseason edition veteran. And uh, I, I, I think we're all going to sort of – I don't know. I think we are all agreeing with the biggest one this time. There's there's nothing cute about any of our answers. Jenny. Alex Mack. <laughs> Jenny, why don't you go first?
7: Yeah, I was going to say last week really had a lot of variability in our answers, but I went in the Google Doc this weekend. I was like, nope, we are all going to say Matthew Stafford for this one because it may be the biggest offseason addition in the league. Everyone is really excited to see how the partnership with him and McVeigh goes. There was... And all a little bit of a dramatic switch from Goff to Stafford. The Rams are obviously not afraid to make a big splash. And now the expectations are even higher.
8: What's interesting to me, right, is that part of McVay's star rise was due to the fact that He essentially programmed Jared Goff before the snap, right? Jared Goff would walk to the line and Sean McVay would talk to him until the second the headset ran out and then essentially tell him where to go with the football. And I think from that, we all thought, how amazing is that, that the person can actually do this and he's elevating this quarterback. But what kind of coach are you? When you don't need to do that and the quarterback is almost totally autonomous of you and how does that change the relationship? And I'm really interested in that because I do think that um maybe part of the reason the Rams offense worked exactly the way McVay wanted it to is because the ball was going exactly where he wanted it to every time. Now it's it's not up to you, right? You have a veteran quarterback who probably wants more of a hand in the calling of the place. He wants to tailor the offense to the things that make him specifically comfortable. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see that sea change um, and, and what that means uh, for McVay personally.
7: Yeah. I remember talking to a defensive line in the divi- defensive lineman, excuse me, in the division who said when they would play at LA and Goff was under center you could hear mcveigh talking to him through the headset and i just always remember that anecdote because it is so illustrative of what that dynamic was like
8: i would love to just be down in my stance and like you know because it it all sounds so dramatic but like it's never as dramatic as we think it is and like you just hear like yeah jared i don't know i mean let's look over here and let's look over there and like you know you're just sitting there in your stance and you're like okay all right okay let's see what he does with this
6: uh, the one thing that kind of stands out to me here with Stafford is, uh, it, look, this is not, uh, he's not Josh Allen from a mobility standpoint, but uh, he is in that class from like an arm talent standpoint. I think it, you can just build so many things off of that, uh, both vertically and, and horizontally. You, you can attack a defense in a way you just couldn't with uh, Jared Goff. But I, I brought this up. Uh, on the show after they made the trade and uh it just it, it sticks in my head. It's from the season opener last year when they beat the Cowboys and there was a first and ten play action call late in the game when the Rams were killing the clock and it was a play they had set up throughout the game uh where Cooper Cup was basically gonna leak off of this and come open and Jared Goff is gonna throw to him and it was gonna basically, for all intents and purposes, seal the game. And you know, McVay calls the play. It 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 works exactly as it's supposed to work. And golf, instead of making the throw, tucks it and runs for four yards. And it was just sort of this head scratching moment where you just kind of said, I, I think even Collins were said on the broadcast, he was like, Yeah, well, you know, coach calls a play and it works, and you don't throw the ball. And now you're looking at second down instead of like, uh, you know, sealing the game here. And I think those kind of moments are. Uh, not going to be anywhere near as frequent, and you not only have a more talented quarterback. I think you just have a guy you can you can trust more than Jared Goff at this point. If you are uh, Sean McVay, and uh, I I think it's a uh, look. I I think it. We'll, we'll get to it later, but I think it puts them
7: atop this division
6: when it's all said and done.
8: Rambling, colon Goff untrustworthy.
7: <laughs> I mean, McVay has said he. What did he say? He's a lot happier this off season. <laughs> So he's really <laughs> given a clear indication of how he felt about golf towards the I, end of the relationship, right? I, I
6: mean, that I is just, tough.
7: I just want to point out, I
6: have said the least jerky thing about Jared Goff during this <laughs> entire conversation. Uh, Jenny hasn't said anything jerky well, about Jared Goff. yeah, or.
7: I mean, I just also want to say those comments by McVay. Maybe he's out Is he's a lot happier this offseason than last season because – who among us is not happier mm. in 2021 than 2020, but I don't think that's what he meant.
8: If you're Jared Goff, there's no way you can't take, because remember with McVeigh, all the conversation was about, I, I'm this brilliant person, but I'm risking burnout, right? Uh, and there was always McVeigh and burnout. If you Google that together, there's like a hundred stories about him admitting that, yeah, this could get old and, and, you know, if you're Jared Goff, it's like, was I the one causing the bur- Like, I'm the I'm the pupil. I'm the I'm the unstar pupil that's causing him to stay up late at night. That's got of be- I, I wouldn't like that. You know, that make me feel bad for sure. Gets you know, to to Jared, Detroit. it's not your fault. It's it's not you. It's him. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> he, what get, you say. he gets to go to Detroit and chill out a little bit. And expectations
6: are not quite what they were with the Rams. And well, I think it'll be a nice second act for him.
7: Yeah, I am interested to see that. But we'll have to wait till we get to the NFC North for that discussion.
6: Which if you've cracked the code out there, you know exactly <laughs> when we're gonna do that show. That's right. I have no idea when we're gonna do that show. There is a system though. I swear there is a system. All right. It's basically uh,
8: like if somebody comes <laughs> up with a good reason for why, like then we'll just get, we'll mail you all the stuff. Like you know, it doesn't have to be right because there is no right answer, you know. We just want go. to mail you our crap. <laughs> you
6: I was going to say, we could have done like, you know, called our respective towns and had a bulk trash pickup come and get this stuff. But instead, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to bring it out of the post office and, and send it out to you.
8: You're um, going to love this old VHS player.
6: <laughs> the biggest offseason edition rookies. Uh, Connor, why
8: don't you open this one up? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's even close. I think it's Trey Lance. And I the reason that I think that is uh, because Kyle Shanahan's offense is the most copied offense in the NFL right now. We have about 30 percent of the NFL running a version of the scheme or trying to run a version of the scheme. And right as it's getting watered down, we're going to introduce a mobile power running element to the system and basically stretch it to its outer reaches and an exhibit, a version of it that nobody's seen before. And everyone's saying, well, it's kind of what they did in, um, in Washington with RG3, but I think it's completely different, right? You would run Trey Lance far different than you would run Robert Griffin III. Um, you're not going to utilize a pistol probably. like, But at mm-hmm. the same time, there's going to be that level of creativity because in Washington at the time, you talked to these coaches and they would sit there at night and they would just like go through everything. And the next day at practice, it's like, well, okay, let's throw them in the pistol. Let's see what that looks like. Let's throw them in the shotgun. Let's throw them in you know, uh, three back, eye wishbone, whatever, you know, and I think that they're going to have that creative surge again with Trey Lance, and we're going to see a version of this offense that we haven't seen before. And it's still an offense that nobody's stopping, right? Because the Titans ran it, the Packers ran it, um, you know, all these teams that are reaching the playoffs and having a lot of success are running it well.
7: Connor, great answer because I also picked the same answer. Although I have to say, I considered not picking Lance just because I am not sure how much this season he will make an impact. The plan is for Garoppolo to have every chance to win the job and to continue to be the starter until Lance is ready, give him the time to develop. But we often see that those plans don't go as well Coaches have indicated they don't go according to plan. That was a really terrible sentence structure there. Uh, I mean, obviously with Patrick Mahomes, he sat the whole season until the final game of the year, but generally rookie quarterbacks come in earlier. And one of the reasons that the 49ers made a bold move to go up and get a quarterback this year was Garoppolo's injury history. And so it's reasonable to expect that we will see some of Lance this year. And as Connor laid out so well, there are such high expectations for what Shanahan will be able to do with him whenever he is ready to play. And I do think there is an interesting dynamic and I'll get to this a little bit with one of my answers later on, but for both McVeigh and Shanahan, now they're getting, you know, a quarterback that they've gone all in on. I mean, obviously Shanahan got Garoppolo before, but got him at a bargain price. So both he and McVeigh have their teams have gone all in? They've made big moves to get a quarterback that they think can get their teams over the hump, not just to the Super Bowl, but winning it. Uh, but will it work out the way they think? And so I am really curious to see. And we won't have an answer to that this year, no matter how much we see Lance. You know, you can't make those determinations with a rookie quarterback and his new coach after one season. Uh, but because of that, and because of the expected transformation, we're you know, hoping for, or the 49ers are hoping for, that would be my biggest addition.
6: Yeah, they get I, I didn't pick Trey Lance, by the way, just so I could be a contrarian. But I the, liked it. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, look, they get quarterbacks ready at North Dakota State. I mean, you know, everyone said, well, Carson Wentz is going to take a while. Carson Wentz is ready week one. Uh, I mean, they, they ran out their first series he ever played. They just ran empty. Uh, and, I mean, it, it, they... They just dropped everything on him, and he was ready to take it. So uh, there, I, I think the Lance-RG3 comparisons are completely uh, just not correct. Uh, the other thing I was thinking with Lance is, like, you just remember that NFC title game where Raheem Mostert, just every time he took the ball, just got to run 60 yards before anyone touched him? Yeah. Uh, now you factor in Trey Lance in that, where he can keep it and go to the backside, and it's just, it's going to be a nightmare to to defend when it's all said and done, but uh, all that said, I went with Rondale Moore uh, out in Arizona. I think he's a fascinating prospect to begin with, and he's another one of these, uh, you know, he's uh, 170 pounds, uh, two of them in this division, actually. You get Tutu Atwell well out in L.A., uh, who's – I think he weighed in at 149. Basically, Rondale Moore could put Tutu Atwell in a baby Bjorn and carry him around. That's uh, <laughs> that's kind of size difference you're talking about with with uh, Tutu Atwell. And I'd love to do that photo shoot if either of what them are up for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but Rondale Moore, you know, diminutive, lots of injuries at Purdue. I mean, he was just such a difference maker at Purdue, though. Uh, anyone who uh, – uh, I, I don't know if you guys uh, – would like to talk to Albert Breer about the time that Purdue just handed it to Ohio State a couple of years ago, but uh, uh, yeah, Rondell Moore just completely dominated that game against an Ohio State team that obviously has a bunch of NFL caliber talent on their defense. So uh, we've seen him be a complete game changer. Maybe he's not a traditional uh, type of uh, you know line him up and and go type of wide receiver here, but. They need guys who can win one out on one-on-one in that offense uh that Cliff Kingsbury is running. Moore gives them another chance there. I don't think AJ Green is really much of an answer, uh, but they need that second complementary weapon with DeAndre Hopkins in the passing game. And I think Moore could be that guy uh after they kind of, you know, Christian Kirk's been all right, Andy Isabella hasn't quite worked out. I think more might end up filling that void and he is a potential difference maker if he just provides that second sort of big play threat in the offense here. And um, look, Arizona—they have their work cut out for them. In what's a very good division here?
8: Can I counter this? Uh, even though you mm-hmm. didn't—you didn't meanly counter my pick. Um, yeah, th- this is this is out of love. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> yeah. It has everything to do with <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury. If he were actually. The promise of Cliff Kingsbury instead of the reality of Cliff Kingsbury, I would totally agree with you, but we haven't gotten the Cliff Kingsbury that we've been promised. This is, like a, this is like a Cliff Kingsbury Kool-Aid where they put in too much water and not enough of the Kool-Aid packet, you know what I mean? It's not as fun as it should be, and... I think if it was as fun as it should be, then Rondell Moore, I would have loved that pick just as much as you did. But I'm, I'm worried that we're putting too much on him and not enough on the coach who has not uh, delivered on 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 what we've expected, I think, coming out of college, uh, Texas Tech.
7: Well, what if Rondell Moore is like adding a little alcohol to the Kool-Aid and Woo! adding something different?
8: That's true. That
7: you haven't had yeah. before. Yeah.
8: Yeah. I've never,
7: I don't think I've ever
8: put alcohol in Kool-Aid. I'm, I'm sure, not sure I that I
7: have either, but it seems like does something co- most of us may have done at one point it, or another. Does Country
8: Time Lemonade count? Like you yeah, know it's the the, the pack the drum of Country Time Lemonade. Yeah.
6: Oh yeah. So yeah. It's basically just fun dip that you just <laughs> dump into water. <laughs> yeah.
8: We That's we right. well the, in college it was uh, it was disgusting. It was you would open an entire uh, case of Keystone and pour it in a vat. And then you'd put the country time lemonade drum in there and then you would put a handle of like um, some store bought vodka and then you would stir it up. And it was just it was awful. It tasted like hot uh, metal and medicine. And um, <laughs> it was just uh, it was it was that, really bad.
6: That sounds, that sounds like a great uh, I don't know. Is, <laughs> a is refreshing
8: that a, summertime beverage.
6: It, no, it sounds like a great music festival or something. Hot, hot metal, metal and medicine. Oh yeah. On a on a on a Saturday afternoon, absolutely. Yeah.
8: Why not? You know. Um. But yeah. So, if if Rondell Moore is the hot metal medicine component of this Cardinals offense to tie it all in together, then I I completely agree with you.
6: Can I? Uh, I agree with you, Connor. And I'm trying to back off my Cliff Kingsbury takes because they're all super negative, and I don't want to look dumb when the Cardinals uh, go go Do it, though.
8: Do it. It's so much fun to look dumb. I, <laughs> I, I, I predicted last week that the Browns were winning the Super Bowl, so let's go. Come on.
6: My issue is this offense is, one, if it wasn't called the Air Raid, no one would like it that much. Air Raid's just a cool name, and so we've all stuck with that for like 15 Fair. years now. Fair. It's an offense that just looks like something out of, like, 2012. I think they're pretty good at dictating some matchups, but the offense just looks like something that's, like, 8 or 10 years old. And, you know, whatever. If you want to, you know, pick on sort of, you know, Adam Gase for doing the sort of Y-ISO type of stuff uh, out with the Jets and and all the all the pre snap acumen stuff that you need a veteran quarterback to do, I I feel like Kingsbury's kind of in that same class at this point. He's just, you know, he's he's a more charismatic guy and maybe doesn't take the kind of heat that uh, uh, some other coaches take. But it's just, look, through two years, it's just kind of a crummy offense to me. And maybe the more pick indicates that they're ready to do something different. But, I mean, it's a big if, but... If you take Kyler Murray making some just otherworldly plays with his legs out of the equation last year, it's a really bad offense. It's a truly bad offense, and I'd, I'm not sure exactly how they go forward. But I am curious to see. Look, coaches are problem solvers. He's got a whole offseason to to solve problems here with that Arizona offense, and let's see what he rolls out this uh, this
7: season. That was a winding answer to. Finally, make your point for more. Because I was like, we are going farther and farther away from Gary's pick here. But I also have to say, both you and Connor, in the last two episodes, the first two parts of this division series have dropped really hot takes. Last week, it was Connor winning the Super Bowl. This week, it's Gary saying the Air Raid offense wouldn't be cool if it wasn't named Air Raid. So I really once I know what next week's division will be, which, again, we definitely know we plan these things well in advance. <laughs> going to have to cook something up.
8: I would love if Jenny just comes out like uh, like Andy in the office, like I'm cutting Phyllis's head off with a chainsaw. Like all of a sudden she's just like no team in this division will win the division. Like like the hottest take imaginable, like the take to end all takes. And I would love that.
6: Just wait. I've, I've come up with a scenario where they all <laughs> tie each other
8: and lose every out of division game. And Roger Goodell just votes that none of them make the playoffs.
7: <laughs> I love it. Wow, you're doing my work for me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh.
4: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On that
6: note, let's go on to uh, most valuable non-quarterback in the division. Uh, Jenny, you can, you can lead off with this mm-hmm. one.
7: Well, there are a lot of good options, but I went with the reigning defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald. I think we all remember the divisional round playoff game where he was injured, not at 100 uh, Mm percent, was visibly upset about that. And I don't think anybody watching that game thought it wouldn't have gone differently or at least been a, a different, you know, tenor of the game if Donald was not at full strength. Obviously, they have to replace their defensive coordinator. They lost Brandon Staley. But Aaron Donald is great in any system under any defensive coordinator and will be key, as he always is. He's always key in the defense. But especially this year when we're expecting big jump forward from the Rams' offense and wondering, will the defense slide back, Donald is the key to not letting that happen. I will like
6: I I and I'm going to I'm going to jump in second here because Aaron Donald uh, yeah Aaron Donald's the answer here by the way but uh I did pick Nick Bosa just because Nick Bosa I I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he comes back from the ACL injury uh but also look it, D'Amico Ryan's there the new defensive coordinator has his work cut out for him I think there was a very unfair narrative that briefly took hold with Robert Sala uh, during the 2019 season. And it was just like, oh, well, they they added Nick Bosa and they have DeForest Buckner. And therefore, you know, yeah, you can you can do whatever you want here. Uh, Robert Sala was called just a really good defense. And you saw last year when they were completely banged up and they still hung in there uh, with again, I, I think we mentioned this during the show, Jenny, the 49ers had so many guys on the defensive line with numbers in the 60s. And that's never a good sign. <laughs> like they just had so many 64s and 66s, and it's like this is this doesn't look like a <laughs> like this looks like the fourth quarter of a preseason game now. But uh, Solomon made work last year, and look now Bosa is back. Obviously, having Nick Bosa uh wrecking games is a huge uh difference maker for for any defensive coordinator so uh it makes D'Amico Ryan's transition a little bit easier here for the 49ers and uh I'm just look I I'm I'm I think he is a legitimate challenger to Aaron Donald as a as the best defensive player in the league if he is at full strength here
8: I'm going to go completely out of left field um because Gary uh, I thought that you were going to, like, again, you kind of let me down when you don't do this. And then so uh, I feel the need um, to, to kind of go uh, further out of out of bounds. Um, <laughs> but I, I well, both of you guys have the right answers. I will say that. Um, but I'm going to do that thing where um, a sports writer Gives an esoteric answer with a reason, and then when this person is successful, I'm gonna try to like get a very narrow version of this clip, um, and you know, and and have it out there so that I'm the guy who you know uh predicted this even though this player is already very good but i have buddha baker and here's why not only did he change his number he's gonna be number three this year very exciting um very very excited about this um but also arguably the best run stopping safety in uh in the conference um and definitely the division and what that means is when every team um Save for maybe the, your own team, right, is going towards this outside zone downhill running you know the Seahawks hired the Sean McVay's old offensive coordinator to install this system um the Rams run a version of it the 49ers obviously run it um you're gonna need a safety that can act you know essentially account for an extra linebacker in the box so you don't get run over when you're in light when you get caught in light personnel and so Buda Baker is one of those super valuable guys that I think arguably is a better run defender than a pass defender and um you know certainly lives up to uh the hype um And one of the best safeties in the NFL. And so I think that uh, he's a guy that if the Cardinals end up staying afloat this year, I think that's going to be a big reason why, like, you know, his presence on the field can do a lot for teams.
7: Connor, you always have permission to use a clip in the future because you have done it (laughs) in past shows and you have taken the heat for the oracles that didn't come true. Shelby is excellent at bringing receipts upon request. You know, he's not doing it out of malice. He he brings receipts upon request. So if you get this one right, Connor, we'll be happy to promote it six months from now.
8: I'm still waiting for the Devonta Freeman breakout to happen with the Giants. But <laughs> otherwise, I feel pretty good about what was the one that... Uh, uh, you were like, it was back when we were in the office, and I was saying that one team was going to destroy, and I think we, like, we were both, like, you were kind of egging me on, and I was like, this team is going to get destroyed, <laughs> and I think you and I were saying, like, the Seahawks were going to, like, destroy the 49 49- it was like Bay, uh, Bay Area teams, that and then it ended right. up being the complete opposite of what happened, and it was bad, like, it was bad, and I was like, yeah, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, but um, I think, that I'm, I'm I feel a little bit safer with this one.
7: No, it's good. I we gotta keep up the oracle, Connor.
8: That's right.
6: I like Buda Baker too, and, and I wanna use that as a transition into our most <laughs> interesting coach here uh in the division. It can be head or assistant coach, uh, although I think we're all going with head coaches this week. Uh I am I'm gonna leave this off. I'm going with Pete Carroll because I feel like if you're the Seahawks and you just got Jamal Adams and now you face Buda Baker twice a year and you kinda of look at Buda Baker and say, like, oh, that's what our guy was supposed to be doing, and this this is not quite how it's working out. Uh, Pete Carroll has a lot of really interesting things happening with his team right now. Mm-hmm. Number one, uh, you know, you, you could sort of do a one a with Shane Waldron here, the new offense coordinator, coming from the Rams, because we've seen sort of a series of of offense coordinators who. <sighs> You wouldn't say, like, oh, this offense failed, but, you know, everyone's trying to build something Russell Wilson-centric, and it just hasn't had fully sustained success for, you know, 19 games and and gotten them to where they want to go ultimately. And you saw last year, you know, it was, it was very aggressive early in the season, and then they had a series of games with turnovers, and... It seemed like it really shook Pete Carroll up and he, and he he drew back and it looked more like the Marshawn Lynch centric offense, uh, Chris Carson centric offense that they've run for years in Seattle by the end of the season. So uh, is he just going to let Shane Waldron do his thing and find an answer here with Russell Wilson and, and sort of have that elite offense for a full season that they just they just haven't had it over the years. And then, of course, the other big question, you know, it, Carol and Ken Norton Jr. has to figure out exactly what they want to do with Jamal Adams, who is in a contract year and probably wants to get paid uh, sooner rather than later. A lot of a lot of draft capital spent to get him. Uh, do they sort of fall into a sunk cost fallacy type of thing? He just wasn't. Maybe it was injury, but he just wasn't you could tell by the way they used him, he wasn't what they expected him to be last season. They expected a lot more out of coverage. Uh, I mean, teams, anytime a team could get a receiver matchup on Jamal Adams, they attacked him and they, they succeeded. And he turned into a guy who was a blitzer. I think he can hold up uh, in some limited uh, coverage roles, but uh, they have to figure out what they are going to do to maximize uh, Jamal Adams here. And I don't know if it's necessarily use him in a linebacker capacity because they're already pretty uh, pretty heavily invested in, in linebackers here between Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks, a former first-round pick. So uh, a lot of different ways you can go with the Seahawks here. And uh, it's going to be really interesting what Pete Carroll figures out, especially in the division where I think the Rams and 49ers are, are probably better teams. But every year, the Seahawks just come up with 10 or 11 wins, no matter no matter how it plays out.
8: Yeah, I'm wondering when the wheels kind of just totally fall off on this. And, you know, uh, maybe to your point, uh, you know, is some of Russell Wilson's frustration justified to an end? You know, uh, are they... Are they wasting draft capital? Are they not getting him the things that he needs to be successful? I know they did get a wide receiver, um, and you know I think that Russell Wilson could help elevate him. He can he can work in the return game as well. But I I think that there's an agreement to that. Like you know if you're if you're looking from the outside in, Pete Carroll's valuable contribution to the NFL was that defense, right? Was the cover three mm-hmm. that uh, you know that kind of changed everything. But all of the branches from his tree have taken it and done better things with it, right? Robert Sala did interesting things with it. Dan Quinn did interesting things with it. Gus Bradley's changing some things and doing some interesting things with it. And they just kind of remain stagnant. They don't have the punishing athletes that they used to have to run the system the way that it was created. And so at some point, um, you know, Pete Carroll is maybe arguably the best culture creator or maybe the second best culture creator in the NFL. Um, But at some point, when do you need him to sort of you know, step aside so you can get, you know, that extra oomph in there because you're right, they're, they're, they're wasting time, they're wasting draft capital on guys who aren't performing as well as they should be.
7: Yeah, it seems like the same story every year in Seattle with a similar ending. But is that your pick then, Connor, or do you have someone else?
8: So that is not my pick, Jenny um but I'm glad you know because i did I wanted to sprinkle a little divisional potpourri in here I wanted to, it would be us to be able to hit all boxes here, but I would say my most interesting coach and I'm going to recycle a point I made ten minutes ago it would be Kyle shanahan and just because I think that there's a lot of pressure on Kyle shanahan, right um I think that um it's interesting that we've just kind of assumed that he is. The guru that he knows what he's doing. Um, but I would think that you could argue that um, there's been more high profile losses or mistakes and big moments that are associated with him than these moments of, you know, groundbreakingness or whatever you want to call it. And so I think that him trading up for and selecting a quarterback that he's going to stamp his name on is more ingrained, will be more ingrained with his legacy than 28 3 or the Super Bowl loss to the Chiefs. Like this. Is going to uh, this is going to cement his legacy, I think, as an offensive play caller, right? And a guru is like, can you now mold the quarterback? Can you change the quarterback? Can you make him into what we think he's going to be? And so that's why I'm really interested because I mean I think Kyle is. Uh, the best offensive mind in the NFL. I think I can say that probably comfortably, but uh, you know, there's, there's where you are now and there's where you can take this. And I think that um, I'm interested to see where his legacy goes from here and how that shifts and changes throughout the season.
7: Yeah, I had similar reasons for picking Sean McVay. It's almost hard to believe that this is McVay's fifth season as a head coach. It feels wow. like it's gone by pretty quickly. And I also think the pressure is high on McVay this season, because for the same reasons you described, now different means of going and getting a quarterback, but they made a move to get Stafford, and now we're, okay, so what is the fruit of that going to be, right? Because before it was genius head coach held back by Goff, okay, well now you can't say that being held back by Goff is you know, reason for not winning a Super Bowl. Now he has Stafford and he has really hyped up Stafford and he has also, you know, raised the expectations and the pressure on him for this season. And so, um, you know, I don't think it's unfair to say that the focus or the shine has shifted off McVay a little bit to other stars in the league as happens. And I'm sure that he is eager to, you know, reclaim some of that this season with his chosen quarterback and, it is a tantalizing pairing. I mean, they they should be one of the best offenses in the NFL, and it's kind of crazy to look back. and They were in the bottom third of the league. I think their offense was ranked 22nd in points scored last season, which is not something you would expect from a Sean McVay offense. Um, but do they live up to the hype? And that's why I think he's the most interesting head coach, because I think there's just – such high expectations and, you know, in a huge media market, right? Uh, they'll be in their new stadium filled with fans for the first time. And it's just a, a pressure cooker.
8: Can I try to make an analogy uh, from a time that I was not alive? Yeah. So, all right. So Gary, I'm going to give this a shot. This is kind of in your wheelhouse. Uh, so <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, right? The, the, the movie, the breakfast club, Was full of formative stars of the '80s, and people viewed that as sort of a cultural uh, phenomena, right? With like all these young, talented actors and actresses in the same place, right? Sure, yeah, that's that's an accurate take on that. Yeah, I think I I I just I'm going to step back for a moment. I'm not that old
7: i was just gonna say <laughs> the difference in age here is not that extreme so i'm a little bit surprised as well here so I, gary's I'll,
8: definitely I'll, the oldest out of all of us I'll,
7: correct well, but I'll not bring, by like a decade I'll,
6: I'll bring my birth certificate to the next show and, and prove and so i that is like that is the fr- breakfast club is like the very fringe of my awareness of pop culture uh that is like age seven i want to say maybe even uh, younger, but anyways, yes, I I, th- I will I will agree with you as the voice of uh of that generation. I
8: will say yes, you are on the right track. So the movie I mean, came I out in was, February of 1985.
7: Yes, I was also alive then. Connors.
8: You were alive? Oh, yes, yes, I didn't. Okay. I, I was
7: born in 1984. Actually, maybe you know, maybe maybe Gary, we are the olds on the show. I'm, I don't really know what to say here. I'm I'm still reeling from I, I, this, I, I, but. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, oh, I, have, boy. I
6: have a pop culture moment to bring up from the mid 80s, but I do want to hear the end of this first, Connor.
7: <laughs> Go for it, Connor. Boy, this is
8: me just slip sliding my way off this podcast. Um, uh, so at the time, it was like, okay, all these formative stars of the day, like this is going to be a movie that we look back on and think like, wow. And then like none of them ended up being famous beyond like that year, basically, right? Like. Molly Ringwald ended up not being famous. Um, Charlie Sheen ended up kind of being a wackadoo. Um, The rest of them, I don't like the the guy with the the flannel shirt and the emotional problems. He I don't I don't remember him really surfacing anywhere again. Am I is that correct? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I mean,
6: yes, I, yes. Broadly, I think you are correct. They, okay. they were all, they were all kind of. They never grew out of them. There were no like Bill Murray's in there who like okay. ended okay. up being timeless stars. Okay, and not right.
7: to not to correct you on pop culture, but I don't think Charlie Sheen was in the Breakfast Club.
8: No, uh, no, Emilio. he was in uh, Ferris Bueller. Okay. He played a guy who looked like the flannel shirt guy. So I got I got missed okay. up. That was it was Emilio oh, Estevez. Yep. You're thinking yep. of
6: a uh, of Judd. Yes. Judd, uh, okay. Uh, I can't remember his last name right now. This is... <laughs> so just, I have a, Judd I'm, Nelson. I'm all Judd Nelson. over the place. There I just relish just...
7: an opportunity to look like a pop culture expert. This is my day. Anyways, <laughs> continue, Connor.
8: <laughs> so to bring this convoluted and horrible uh, take to, uh, to its soft landing, what if the NFC West... Is the Breakfast Club. Like, we're all sitting here being like Cliff Kingsbury and Kyle Shanahan oh, and Sean wow. McVeigh and all this youth, and it's gonna, they're gonna dominate the NFL. And then, like, five years from now, we're like, what the hell are those guys doing now? You know, yeah. like, it's, I'm just saying, it's always possible. It's always possible because of the Breakfast Club.
7: Okay, so I see what you're saying. Actually, me and Gary being olds, that's a good thing because the olds <laughs> make it, you know.
8: Correct. You guys yeah, have, the olds are better have off. exhibited your staying power. Yes, okay. Whereas, we're- Good. I am in grave danger of slipping into irrelevance. Yes. All right.
7: I, I can accept this analogy now, Connor. But but I see your point. I mean, there there is so much buildup over this division and their transformative impact on offenses. And it's hard to argue that McVay and Shanahan haven't had that impact on offense, but what will be the fruits of it? And that's kind of where we're at right now.
8: Yes.
6: Okay. I will date myself uh for a moment. Uh my first trip to a movie theater, my parents uh sent me to see Ghostbusters when I was five with my two older brothers. And uh that is the most terrifying experience uh imaginable for a five year old. Uh and to this day I have friends who are like oh Ghostbus oh, Ghostbusters are so funny. Like I I haven't watched it. Like it <laughs> it scarred me for life. Being in the theater for the first time with the giant screen on and uh, having like uh, I mean Slimer was terrifying to me. The Ghost in the
8: Library? Yeah, I I mean I've I've never seen it. Uh, Same. I've- You've never seen
6: Ghostbuster? Whoa!
8: Well, yeah? okay, no, yeah. I mean there was no reason. You know, the, I only knew I only knew Slimer as the mascot for Ecto Cooler on High in High C. That was where my awareness of Slimer came in. Okay, so. I, uh, I I missed it. My first movie in theaters, though, is Casper, which is a similar. It's a ghost movie. So I, I can empathize, but <laughs> yeah. I cannot.
7: I, I would like to correct myself. There clearly is a decade of difference between the two of you. I was wrong in my earlier statement and cannot count. So, um, you know.
8: Let me just get this out there, too, because I do think that this will uh, make Jenny feel a little bit better. We do beat up on her from time to time for not catching a lot of pre- uh, pop culture references. I have also never seen. I've never seen Ghostbusters. I've never seen any Star Wars movies. I've never seen Jurassic Park. I have never seen Titanic. So um, just getting that out there in solidarity with my friend Jenny. So, Thank
7: you, Connor. Truly appreciate it.
6: That's a, that's a really good. Uh, I don't know. What is it? That's, that's like a, a pop culture unbucket list. Or something yeah. like that, the, and I'm, and I'm not
8: going to do it either. Nobody can make ah, me.
6: You should. I mean, you should see like Jurassic Park. That's a good. Not going to do Indiana it's Jones.
8: Exciting. Haven't seen Indiana Jones. Uh, not going <laughs> to do any of it. It's going to be great.
6: All right, all right. I do also want to point out before we uh, transition to Mad Libs here, we've we've touched on a lot of powder drinks in the show. We we gotta we gotta hit Tang later. I mean, <laughs> I know, we've hit Kool We've hit icy.
8: <laughs> Country we're, time we're, lemonade.
6: <laughs> I say, where, where's the ad sales team? We got all this product placement just ready to go.
8: <laughs> oh.
2: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what?
4: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: All
8: right, Mad Libs, Connor. It's
7: your time. We can't wait
8: for it. Woo! All right, now that I know how to do this, this is very exciting, <laughs> yes. a lot more confident. Um Okay, uh, so Jenny or, um, Jenny, would you or Gary like to go first today?
7: Gary's turn. Yep, yep.
8: Okay, fantastic. Uh, Gary, uh, give me a noun describing your most critical body part.
6: Oh, wow. Um, uh, sturdy.
8: No, like the the actual body part.
6: Oh, like, because I'm my- Sorry, sorry. Yeah. My feet. My your, feet are... Your feet, okay. Yeah. Oh, a noun. A noun describing... Oh, Connor. That was terrible.
8: <laughs> okay. you know no well, better at this. Yeah, that's true. I, well, you know, there's a, di- there's a difference between getting Mad Libs and understanding the English language. The second, the latter part of which I'm still <laughs> working my way up on. As as my editor, you should know that there's a very fringe grip between me and the, uh, the English language. Uh, okay. Uh, a, a noun uh, meaning your most critical mind. Yes. Okay. So, uh, okay, so you got feet, okay. Um, Jenny, um, an adjective describing um, the physical appearance of your most hated rival in middle school.
7: Okay, curly haired) <laughs> <laughs>
8: Everyone with curly hair in State College is shuddering right now <laughs> listening to this podcast. Was it me? Um, Single tear. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Gary, um, an, an adjective describing the first bite of your favorite food. That feeling you get when you take that first bite of your favorite food. Refreshing. Aha! Uh-huh. This is gonna be good. Okay. Um, Jenny, uh, a proper noun listing your favorite non-Earth planet or you know uh, you know structure in the solar system. Jupiter. Perfect. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, Gary, uh, describe for me um, a, a piece of furniture in your house that you that you're looking at right now. One word to describe it. Just do you want the the
6: name of the piece of furniture or?
8: No, I want like just what like what comes to mind like an adjective like this is a blank table you know.
6: This is uh, let's go with. I'm looking at a laundry rack right now. Um,
7: you could do sturdy.
6: It's not sturdy though, and it it injures me constantly. So I will. Uh, I I mean, can I give you like a a? Uh,
7: How about dangerous then?
6: I was gonna say, but but like deceptively dangerous.
8: That's perfect.
7: Great. It
6: folded up. It's it's heavy. It's an Ikea thing, and it folded up in my finger the other day when I was moving it, wow. and I, I yelped and upset <laughs> everyone in the house. Cowardly <laughs> yelp, too. Like, it lost everyone's respect.
8: Wow. So this is a pro-powder drinks anti-Ikea <laughs> podcast for advertisers listening. <laughs> Keep it in mind. Trying to work their way in here. Um, okay, Jenny, a verb that kind of, it, it's like how you felt um, when you saw or heard about or somebody mentioned, and maybe I'm, you're the first person that's mentioning this to you, uh, the, the, the plot of the latest Fast and Furious movie?
7: How, how did she feel?
8: Blank. Okay.
7: I don't know what the plot was. Good. Good.
8: She heard about Fast and the Furious and felt nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and Gary, uh, an adjective describing how you felt, uh, and this is another middle school callback here. How you felt in your favorite outfit in middle school? Like you had that one outfit that you loved to wear, and and how you felt walking in the door. Boy,
6: uh, I would say because um, it was my Walter Payton uh, jersey with mm. sweatpants. Uh, but the <laughs> sweatpants had to be pulled up, elastic bottom sweatpants, but they had to be pulled up a little bit above the sock. So I-, I, I To make it look like, like you were wearing makeup. cleats.
8: Yeah. Yeah.
6: yeah. Uh, so I would, uh, I mean, kind of invincible. Ooh.
8: Right.
7: This is the most specific game of Mad Libs, but I'm really enjoying <laughs> I was it. Say. <laughs> All right,
8: uh, we're ready to go then. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's see how this goes. Um, so um, when it comes to the AFC West, this uh, this division is really the bee's feet. Uh, <laughs> you, you have the Rams who traded away uh, their curly-haired uh, who traded away their curly-haired quarterback Jared Goff in exchange uh, for the refreshing Matt Stafford. Um, he's really planning to take this team all the way to Jupiter. Uh, they're they're hoping to knock off the Seattle Seahawks, who many people find to be deceptively dangerous.
7: Ooh,
8: yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson is a uh, blank. Uh, he, he, he feels blank in Seattle, um, but that doesn't mean he won't give his best in 2021. <laughs> That's fits. actually perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, both the San Francisco 49ers and Arizona Cardinals look invincible in the color red, but will that be enough to bring them to the top of the division? Some say yes. Others say no. I love it. And, but I'm terrified that we nailed the Seahawks. Oh, yeah. It really good. <laughs> They're, they're, they're deceptively dangerous, but the quarterback is emotionally checked out. Like, I think yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't even send this one to you guys.
6: <laughs> all right. Mad Libs 2 in the books. Uh, it, that brings us to our projected order of finish here. And I will say our Mad Libs were, were kind of off when it came to the Cardinals because uh, in our little coaches bowl here, we all selected the Cardinals to finish last. And I don't know. The Cardinals still... I think for a lot of people, the Cardinals still kind of like the the dark horse team. Everyone wants them to be. I mean, you have Kyler Murray, you have a really exciting offense, but I don't know. I don't know if they I don't know if they get there with this offense. We've we've I mean, does anyone have any more Cliff Kingsbury bashing they'd like to do on the show?
7: No, I think you covered that pretty well earlier in the show, Gary. I don't think we have to revisit. But, yeah, it's hard to put them higher than last place, especially because it is such a deep division and because the other quarterbacks in the division are very talented or there's a lot of promise for Trey Lance coming in.
8: The Cardinals are a boring uh, bottomless pit through no fault of their own specifically. Um, I think that there's some organizational uh, issues that need to be addressed there. Um, otherwise I don't find them climbing out of last place.
6: I like what Vance Joseph does with the defense. I feel like I, I had to say that at some point during the show, but uh, yeah. Uh, third place here, Seahawks seven points. Uh, let's see. No uh, Second place for Jenny and then third place for me and Connor. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's kind of it's a three team race here. It feels like I I think there's a perfectly fine argument for making the the Seahawks your pick for division winner. But uh, I don't know, Jenny. Are you is is there anything specifically you're looking at? Uh, that you like about them that that causes you to put them in front of the San Francisco 49ers?
7: Well, the main reason I put them in front of the 49ers is I'm not quite sure when Lance will come in. Um, He may come in sooner than they want him to come in if there is, you know, an injury or some other circumstance. So I'm just going with experience. Okay. with, you know, with Seattle and Seattle's always in the mix. It's hard for me to count them out just yet, but I agree with Connor's earlier, earlier point, like when are the wheels going to fall off, and they haven't yet. I've
6: been predicting that for like each of the past five seasons, and I'm just going to stop predicting it.
8: To Seattle's credit, I've been f- predicting that about my own career since 2010, <laughs> and I, I'm still at least, uh, you know, I'm employed, so I, maybe some of this stuff can go on longer than you expect it to.
6: 2010, when you were four years old, and I was <laughs> I was just hitting my 50s. So. Hey, 40- you saw the
8: breakfast club.
6: <laughs> 49ers are our second-place pick here. Uh, they got a first-place vote from Connor. I had them second. Jenny had them third. Uh, I don't know, Connor, what, what are we looking at here? Uh, do you expect them to be facing the Cleveland Browns in Super Bowl 56?
8: Woo! Uh, no, <laughs> but I, I I think that they're going to win the division, and I think they're going to do it. I think that there's probably more of a plan to the to the handoff from quarterback to quarterback than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, you know, maybe the ideally, like Jimmy Garoppolo gets you to like two and one or three and one or four and two. And then all of a sudden, you know, almost like when Kaepernick took over for Alex Smith after the injuries. um, And then you just show up, uh, you know, close to when every team starts getting their bye week with a completely different offense and you force them all to figure that out on the fly. And so, and they can't and, uh, and it evolves over the course of the year and they're just very hard to beat. And I think, I, I don't think Trey Lance is stupendous right away, but he's probably like, Dak Prescott that first year, you know, in in Dallas, which is more than good enough, and so uh, I, I think they'll I think they'll be in good shape.
6: Jenny and I both picked the Rams to win this division.
7: Yeah, I'm buying into the Stafford hype a little bit here, despite my earlier comments about can McVay and the Rams live up to the pressure. Uh, I'm really excited to see this offense. Well, let me let me
6: put forth this annoying scenario. If they end up having a great offense, like they have a top five offense this year, but the defense slides back, no Brandon Staley. We know they're thin on defense, uh, you know, beyond Aaron Donald. Uh, Maybe maybe Donald gets banged up and and his play is not quite at the level it has been. Uh, Do you consider that? And and, and they end up like 10 and 7 or something. Do you consider that a success? Is that just sort of a, I don't know, do do they get a do-over when it's all said and done? Or is that a failure?
8: If the Rams don't make the Super Bowl or content or make the conference title game, then their strategy of constantly forking over uh, extreme draft capital for uh, fast gains needs to be looked at seriously by management. That's what I would say.
7: Definitive sure. or take? Yes. Yeah.
6: Put it on a uh, put it on Sneed more than McVeigh.
8: Yes, because. Okay. And 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 the the best part about McVeigh, if you're McVeigh, and I think about this as being uh, the older sibling and never being able to get away with anything, is when you're young and you have that youthful sort of energy to you. You can always be like, I didn't know that, you know. You're you can be like caveman lawyer, you know, and just be like, I'm not aware of you know any of this. I'm just a young guy running around here. All the old guys are picking the players, and he he'll be fine, you know. I'm not worried about him, but you know. I think, you know, you could always be like, well, I could use a few more first round draft picks, you know, and everything'll be okay.
7: But yeah, you know, you make the divisional round last year and you go out and you get Stafford, the expectation is you get farther than that. So I don't think it's a total failure, but it will certainly be looked at that way by a lot of Rams fans, right? Because you said that this is what you needed to be in the Super Bowl to be back in the Super Bowl you just needed your quarterback and now you have your quarterback and there will be a lot of disappointment if the season doesn't extend farther than last year
6: I love I the Rams no matter what they can do no wrong they got their quarterback they'll 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 be fine
8: a deep uh i you know we'll say about the Rams definitely arguably the deepest football research staff in the league so uh the 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 so that, that gives them an edge in my mind too all right all right
6: well we'll uh we'll be back next week what division if we want to know we just have to scroll down in this google doc because it's already written in there but uh yeah tune in find out that's a terrible wrap-up <laughs> The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is Jenny, Brentis, Connor Orr, and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Bravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. And Andy Benoit is founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts.